Welcome to the Immigrant Stories Program. I'm your host, Walter Gallagher, and my interview today is with Calvin Lee. Calvin came to the Roaring Fork Valley in 1980 to work for the Colorado Public Defender's Office. In 1984, he opened his own office and practiced law for another 28 years. In 2012, he closed his office and moved to Denver, where he pursues his other passion, art. Calvin's parents were both immigrants. They came from Guangdong province in China, the same province where thousands of Chinese fled from in the 1850s. These early immigrants were fleeing poverty and instability, and they came to the United States and found work as laborers in the California gold fields and on our nation's first transcontinental railroad. Their contributions to the development of our nation's infrastructure were met with virulent racism and constant discrimination that eventually resulted in the passage of the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. It was the first law to bar immigrants solely based on their race. That law, barring nearly all Chinese, remained in place for 70 years until it was finally lifted in 1952. In spite of the law, some Chinese families found ways to circumvent it. Calvin's father's family was one of them. Calvin starts his story describing the workaround that they developed. My parents were both born in China, the southern part of China. Uh, if you go from Hong Kong over the bay into mainland China, take a train to Guangdong, and then uh, go south for about three or four hours, you come to a village called Toisan. Both my parents were born in Toisan. Uh, they lived 30 miles apart there. They didn't know each other. When they were 12 years old, they both came over to the United States, uh, again, not knowing each other. At that time, the United States was known as Gim San, Gold Mountain. The Chinese believed that if you came to America, you'd pick gold off the streets and become wealthy, send money back to the family in China, and eventually also return to China. The uh, Chinese were the uh, first foreign people who the United States government imposed a quota upon. The uh, government was afraid of the, quote, yellow peril, unquote. And so only those people who had a permit could come over. And my father's family did not have a permit. So his family at that time in the 1920s paid a family who had a permit, uh, $1,500 for my father to pretend to be their son. So that uh, family's last name was Lee. Uh, my real last name is not Lee. It's, it's the f last name of the family who my father pretended to be the son of. And his, uh, my real last name is Yi, Y-E-E. -E. The, uh, when, when people did that, in China, my father would be known as the paper son, uh, a son in paper only, not a, a real son. So uh, that paper family 
wrote in Chinese in a small little notebook about 10 pages of their biography so that my father, when he came over and was being, would be uh, interrogated by immigration on Angel Island. Angel Island is, is uh, next to Alcatraz in the San Francisco Bay. Uh, he, when he came over, he was uh, in a barracks for three months being questioned by the immigration officials to see if he really was legal. He passed that ordeal. Uh, my mother came over legally. She was 12 years old. She also was in Angel Island and, and questioned, and uh, they both vividly remember being there as little kids uh, f- for several months before they were allowed into San Francisco. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Immigrant Stories program. Calvin Lee, a local attorney, is describing how his parents immigrated from Guangdong Province in China and started a new life in San Francisco. My father uh, worked in the shipyard during World War II, helping to build battleships for the Navy. Uh, My mother worked in a hardware store. Uh, She also worked at the shipyard as a clerk. My father worked in rice fields um, outside of Sacramento. When they were in their early 20s, they met and got married and um, had me and my brother. Uh, Oh, my father also, uh, when he got older, uh, he ran bathtub gin for my aunt during, and he, uh, when he was, uh, before he got, let's see, after he got married to my mother, he ran an illegal keno parlor. And every month the police would do a raid just to show that they were tough on gambling. So once in a while, my, well, my father would pay the police to ignore him, but sometimes they would have to make a show of it. And so they would arrest him every several months. And he had a lawyer on retainer uh, to bond him out as soon as he got stuck in jail. Uh, the <clears throat> those kind of lawyers were known as hell flu guy. That's a, a little chicken lawyer, because they just did little things like represent gamblers who got thrown in jail and 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 bond them out. So they're known as little chicken lawyers. Did your father have stories about those three weeks on Angel Island when he was waiting to be let into the United States? Three months on Angel Island. It was very sparse. Is kind of like being in a prison, they said. So did your parents eventually become naturalized citizens? They became citizens. Uh, there was uh, a period of time when the government, U.S. government, declared amnesty as long as you went in to confess that you came in here illegally. My father did not trust the U.S. government, so he never went in to confess. No confession. No confession. When we went to Arizona, this that was in 1951. For a year, my parents leased a, a grocery store and ran the grocery store in the Mexican Barrio in Tucson, and then they found a store to buy in the suburbs of Tucson. At that time, there was only 40,000 people, and there are no 7-Elevens, no Safeways or uh, King Supers. And so my father was the butcher shop and grocery store for the neighborhood. Uh, he did very well. They did very well. They paid off the mortgage in two years. 
and ran the store for uh, 30 years. Did they have to work hard? They were open 365 days a year, including Christmas. On Christmas, uh, we opened from 8 in the morning till 9 at night, and on Christmas, we opened at 11 in the morning so we could open Christmas gifts. So what is your memory as growing up? I don't have any recollection of San Francisco. My first recollection is arriving in Tucson. Uh, my, our, my aunt had a grocery store there in the black uh, downtown neighborhood of Tucson. She, they had had that store since the uh, 1920s. Uh, I remember it was still fairly uh, dirt street, a lot of pool halls, uh, prostitutes hanging out in doors, and they had uh, several rentals behind the grocery store, and there were mud floors. I remember my first memory as a child was being in that little apartment with a mud floor and a mosquito netting over the bed, and uh, it was a rough neighborhood. They had a crowbar and a gun behind the counter for in case uh, some of the customers were going to come in and try to steal some um, gallo sherry. Yeah, that was a, <laughs> you know, I don't know if you remember the cheap wine, gallo, sherry, and port. That's, that was the liquor du jour of people who didn't have a whole lot of money to get drunk on. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Immigrant Stories Program. Calvin Lee, a retired local attorney and son of Chinese immigrants, is describing his early memories of growing up in Tucson, Arizona, and the values he learned from his parents. We, we lived behind the grocery store. The, our living room door opened up into the grocery store, and when you opened up the living room door, there was the cash register and the counter where we uh, served the customers or um, had them pay for the groceries. And so my parents were around and it was probably due to the fact that they're hardworking and they're always around, which gave my brother and I the values of hard work, stability. Uh, you know, now families, often the parents are go leave in the morning at 7, kids are put in daycare, they don't get back till 6 or 7 or 8, there's the, uh, the kids are left alone a lot, and uh, there's a high divorce rate. It's important for uh, families to feel, or children to feel, that, they, that the parents are around, that they're there, uh, and that, they're, that they care, even though they may not say it. Uh, the fact that they're hardworking and, and around, and you're always fed, and you always feel that your parent it's a stable environment rather than uh, what kids experience today. Did you experience prejudice growing up? Yes, I recall in sixth grade, uh, the entire sixth grade class was asked to this private dance studio just for a tryout uh, t for the studio to expose the children to this, this dance class, and I was the only one not asked. I recall riding my bike one time to uh, junior high class and this little kid uh, running behind my bicycle yelling chingaling 
But it was mixed. I mean, uh, when we moved to the suburbs from the Mexican barrio, we were surrounded. There were not a whole lot of Chinese in Tucson. There were maybe 10 families, and they're all spread out. And I played, all our neighbors were Anglo, white kids, and they were my best friends, and all the uh, neighbors that we had uh, really liked my parents, and we had barbecues and uh, pretty much accepted in in the neighborhood. Uh, as far as, let's see, I, I experienced some prejudice as a young man, like I would uh, date uh, Anglo women and, and have Anglo girlfriends. Uh, one girlfriend's parents, uh, the father was the vice president of uh, Exxon Oil, and her grandmother and father loaned Conrad Hilton his first million to open up his hotel. And when she told her parents and grandparents that she now had a Chinese boyfriend, they wouldn't speak to her for a month. But then they warmed up to me. Uh, one time I broke off with an Anglo woman, and two months later, turns out she was pregnant. Her mother thought it, I was the father, and she told her daughter she didn't want to have anything to do with her grandchild if it's going to be half Chinese. It turned out I wasn't the father, but I ran into that. And But, you know, prejudice is a funny thing. My uh, parents were prejudiced. They had... They had derogatory names for Jewish people, for black people. Um, Hakwi means black spirit. Jiukwi means Jewish spirit. And when you say black spirit, that, that isn't a good thing. Hmm. The, the word spirit, black spirit, is not a, a positive term. It was a very negative term for black people and Jewish people. And in fact, my parents forbid me to date any Anglo girls in high school and said I, they wouldn't pay for my college uh, and to uh, don't walk back into the door if I continued to date this uh, white girl that I was dating. That was in high school, and uh, when I was in law school, like many years later, my parents had no control over me at that time, and I was only dating Anglo women, and my father and I were driving one time, and he apologized and said they were wrong for forbidding me to date any um, Anglo women. As far as the prejudice they experienced, they did tell me that during World War II, they had to wear, in uh, San Francisco Chinatown, they had to wear an armband that was yellow that identified them as Chinese so that they wouldn't be assaulted or killed during World War II being mistaken for Japanese. And they weren't really allowed to, to go out of Chinatown. If, huh. Because? Because they were Chinese, and it was World War II, and so they would get harassed or beaten. Or What are the values that you, you think your parents brought from China you still value? Mainly hard work. Uh, it was never stated that we were going to go to college. It was just sort of understood. You know, they valued education and they made sure my brother and I went to swimming classes and and joined the YMCA and were in Cub Scouts. You talked a little bit about it initially, but why go over this again about why your parents chose the United States? America was known as Gim Sun. You supposedly went over there and got wealthy, picked gold off the streets. And they already had 
relatives over here. My father's half-sister, two half-sisters and half-brother were already over here. My uncle, my father's half-brother, went on to um, be the president of the bank, uh, the only bank in Chinatown, San Francisco, and uh, he got two awards from the Pope for meritorious Catholic service in San Francisco, Chinatown. Did your parents miss China? No, they didn't miss China. What they did miss, my mother really missed when they had to move to Tucson. My mother missed San Francisco because, like I said, there are virtually no Chinese in Tucson in the 1950s. And they were about to go back to San Francisco after two years and then my father found this grocery store that he wanted to buy, and without really consulting with my mother, he bought it. And uh, they all actually almost got divorced over that because my mother was so unhappy being uh, in in Tucson. Uh, my parents, as I was growing up, um, like I said, there were not very many Chinese, so their friends became, they were Anglo friends, uh, all social strata, all income levels. Like one of my family's best friends there is the professor of astronomy at the University of Arizona, and he was in charge of the Hubble spacecraft uh, explorer. And to continue that kind of storyline about family, uh, my father's mother was still in China. She was in China when the communists took over. And she was very wealthy, had two houses. So during the revolution, when the communists uh, took over, they had public trials and torture for the wealthy people. When it was my grandmother's turn to have her public trial, the uh, poor people said that although she was rich, she was always kind to the poor people. So they didn't make her torture her or make her crawl out you know, on her hands and knees through broken glass, but they did take away her two houses. Then three years later, she, they allowed her to go to Hong Kong. And in Hong Kong, she lived for 10 years in a one-room apartment with three other people, uh, got a liking for Coca-Cola. She would drink one can a day hot in little shot glasses, so she made the Coca-Cola last all day. (laughs) The reason why she stayed there for 10 years is we couldn't get her over here because she obviously had a different last name than my father. So it took us 10 years to work the system to finally get her over here. And by the time she got over here, I was in high school. She was in her 60s. She uh, lived with us until she died. She never did learn English. I don't subscribe to the people who are anti-immigration, that somehow because you're not willing to learn English, uh, that doesn't make you worthwhile or that it's, it's particularly necessary to learn English. I would turn it back on them and say it's, it's of a benefit to us it, when we have immigrants come over and they speak a different language and that we should make an effort to learn a second language. People in Europe uh, know three or four different languages. Uh, all over the world, people attempt to learn English, and we are uh, pretty wanting when it comes to 
the awareness of other cultures and the ability to speak a second language. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Immigrant Stories Program. My guest, Galvin Lee, a local retired attorney and artist, is talking about growing up as the son of Chinese immigrants in Tucson, Arizona. You talked about your your father's immigration. Tell your mother's immigrant story. She came in a different way. Yeah, she came here legally. She also was from a pretty well-to-do family in China. She remembers having servants when she was a little kid, and uh, she came over here. Let's see. She was. Um, she lived with her mother, and she only got an eighth-grade education, also. Uh, but she speaks and writes English. She worked pretty much like I told you for um, kind of labor jobs, you know, not labor, but clerking kinds of jobs, hardware store, uh, filing for the uh, shipyard. And uh, she relates how she did have a boyfriend when she met my father, but she fell in love with him and her boyfriend threatened to kill my father but he persisted and they eventually got married so do you feel you're more like your mother or your father oh a little both i uh, when i was growing up i was kind of quiet like my father but since becoming an attorney i think i'm more a lot more <laughs> verbal so you got pretty used to Growing up in Tucson without, without Chinese or Chinese culture other than your parents. That's right. In fact, what happened was when I was in, when I started first grade, my parents said that you can speak English when you're out of the home, but when you're at home, you have to speak Chinese. And if you don't speak Chinese, you and me and my brother, my brother and I, uh, you can't have ice cream or watch television. Peer pressure is so great that my brother and I refused to eat ice cream or watch television uh, instead of speaking Chinese in the home. So I've lost most of my Chinese. I can get a, you know, when I go to China, I can get around and I can write Chinese, but not not as as well as I would would like to. So have you been back to the village where your parents came from? Uh, in 1990, my brother and his family and I and my parents went to China and found each of the houses my parents were born and grew up in until they were 12. And in fact, when we were walking around, this one guy uh, on a bicycle looks at us and immediately my father and he recognize each other as being classmates <laughs> back when they were little kids. What so was that was interesting. What was that like watching your parents reconnect with the village that they left? Oh, it was something. The 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 beam uh on my father's face especially when he saw the house that he grew up in was pretty special. He just lit up and you know had all these memories. My mother also. My mother's house actually was uh, there was just an empty lot there. It was destroyed. and But she started telling stories about her memories of of being 
in that village. It was pretty. It was pretty. Uh, I remember there the the little kids. There were little kids. They're maybe two or three or four years old, running around. They had. It's a rural kind of agricultural village, and so um, I did think. Now, what if my parents had met, actually never came to America and met when they were there in the village in their twenties, and the same sperm and egg got together. <laughs> The stark contrast between me being this little raggedy kid in this rural agricultural um, village where they were growing rice and bananas and riding a lift, the gondola on Aspen Mountain was a pretty stark dramatic, con- dramatic yeah. contrast. <laughs> that was Calvin Lee. These days, Calvin is working on his art trekking through the mountains of Colorado when he has time, and defending refugees and immigrants in court. You've been listening to the Immigrant Stories Program. This program comes to you on the third Tuesday of every month. You can also hear Immigrant Stories every weekday at 544 on KDNK. The Immigrant Stories Program is also available as a podcast. You can subscribe online wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Calvin Lee and people like him who have made this valley a better place to live. And thanks to you for listening.